Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald and welcome to Life as a, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. Before we get started today, I do have a favor to ask of all of you. I did start a channel over on YouTube in the last year, year and a half or so. And yeah, I'm really trying to promote that. And the reason being is I think the content that I'm putting out here, you know, we're doing all right with some of these guests for coming on. And I think it deserves to be put in front of more people. And one of the best ways, of course, of doing that is through a platform like YouTube. Now, if you do interact with these videos on YouTube, that algorithm loves it. And that's the only way that it knows to continually share that content, put it in front of more people. So yeah, I could be a little bit biased here, but I think, you know, finding out about some of these careers is great for young people. It's great for mid-career professionals. If you have a second, head on over to YouTube, life as a dot dot. That's where you can find it. And yeah, like or subscribe. It would help a ton. All right, well, on to the show. Rain Wilson, as most of you know, played one of the most socially iconic television characters of the last decade or two. I mean, who doesn't know The Office or the guy he played? Dwight K. Schrute. And that role helped transform Rain into a globally recognized, lauded actor. However, if you didn't know, he does represent a bit more than that. For example, even before his rise to fame on The Office, he was in a bunch of other notable films and TV shows like Almost Famous, HBO's Six Feet Under, amongst others. Post The Office, he has been a busy guy, which I'll soon fill you in on. However, before doing so, I want to let you know that in personally getting to know him a little, aside from him being this quirky, funny guy as you'd expect, Rain is also a fellow driven by the examination of deeply moving and important intellectual issues. Also, I mean, he's really thoughtful, compassionate, and not to be forgotten, quite the generous human being. I mean, heck, he was kind enough to chat with me for over an hour, patiently answering a slew of questions I threw his way. However, the biggest takeaway you may derive about Rain from the sock is just how spiritual he is. In fact, his latest book, Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution, is what we based our conversation around. And we had this great philosophical discussion about life, living, and of course, careers. We went big picture, kind of pie in the sky, if you will, to look at things like why we need spirituality within our work, how and why becoming more spiritually evolved can really help us achieve much greater senses of personal fulfillment and ultimate success, what we need for happiness and fulfillment, and he even gets into his struggles within his career, even when he was seemingly on top of the world. And he does make this statement that uh, kind of caught me off guard a little bit, and uh, I'll just let that one sit there for you. But uh, yeah, y you might want to listen just for that. Also worth noting, and not to worry, I did manage to slide in one direct office question about Dwight that you won't want to miss. In all up, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation for both the deepness of it all, but also the breaks of levity throughout. I know I came away refreshed and equipped with some new ways of considering all things life, living, and beyond. I hope this chat will come to represent something similar to you too. Dwight Kurt Schrute III is a Scranton, Ohio-based salesman for the paper company Dunder Mifflin. His titles include being the original assistant to the regional manager, although this is somewhat disputed, and former assistant regional manager. Additionally, he is a bed and breakfast proprietor at Schrute Farms, a beet plantation owner. Hey, 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 whoa, 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 excuse me. Ugh. What's going yeah. on here, Chris? Yeah, uh, sorry, Chris. Rain. Sorry, wrong Chris. bio. Wrong it's bio. It's a fictional character. My bad. It's a My fictional bad. character. We got caught up in it. Bye. All right, let me try again. Let me try again. Okay, thank you. Rain Wilson is an American actor, writer, director, producer, and you could even throw in a successful entrepreneur. Arguably, he may be best known for his role as Dwight Schrute on the American version of the television comedy The Office, for which he earned three consecutive Emmy Award nominations for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. Now, a native of Seattle, Washington, Wilson began acting in college at the University of Washington and later worked in theater in New York City after graduating in 1986. 
Wilson made his film debut in Galaxy Quest in 1999, followed by supporting parts in Almost Famous, Steven Soderbergh's Full Frontal, HBO's Six Feet Under, and many other TV and film productions. However, it was his casting as Dwight Schrute in The Office in 2005, a role which he would play until the show's conclusion in 2013 that really took his career to otherworldly heights. Arguably, it was that period which launched him into the stratosphere of pop culture icon status. Now, if keeping up with entertainment news isn't your thing, you might have assumed that after such accomplishment, he would have been content to bask in his past glories while perfecting the art of blissful relaxation and inertia. Well, alas, that assumption could not be further from the truth. Rain has done anything but rest on his laurels. Let me bring you up to speed on a sampling, and I stress sampling, of some of his endeavors post The Office. Co-wrote a New York Times bestseller, Soul Pancake, Chew on Life's Big Questions. Co-founded the digital entertainment media company, Soul Pancake, in 2008 to encourage open-hearted dialogue about what it means to be human. Wrote a humorous memoir about his personal life, career, and faith called The Bassoon King in 2015. Starred in the comedy audio series Dark Air with Terry Carnation in 2021. Started a podcast, Metaphysical Milkshake, with renowned religious expert, author, and producer Reza Aslan, where they go deep, get weird, and search for the meaning of life along the way. Voiced characters in major motion animated pictures and series ranging from Smurfs to DC animated films. And I'm not done yet. He has acted in major theatrical releases like Weird, The Al Yankovic Story, as well as other notable Netflix and Amazon original series productions. And now, Rain is presently involved in the promoting of a couple of his most recent works. The first being a Peacock documentary series called The Geography of Bliss, in which Rain travels the world in search for the meaning of happiness. And the other being the launch of yet another critically acclaimed book, which I might add, has quickly become another New York Times bestseller for him. Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. So, with all that stated, I couldn't be more thrilled to welcome you to my conversation with Rain Wilson. Welcome to the program. How are you doing, Rain? Uh, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, you're a busy guy these days. The book coming out, Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution, New York Times bestseller, another one I might add. Not only that, you've got uh, the Peacock series, Geography of Bliss. Yeah, exciting times. There's a lot going on and a lot of conversation and promotion and tours and and whatnot, but um, I'm happy, thrilled to be speaking with you today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do appreciate that. And I mean, in terms of this conversation, we were speaking a little bit before we got going about where we're going to be going with this. And I think for my listeners, I kind of want to just forewarn them a little bit. Normally, you know, we're dissecting what the career is all about. And the easy thing to do here would be to go into Rain's career and talk about the acting and some of the other projects he's been involved with. But, you know, to be honest, as I got going in your book, you know, returning to that, which I absolutely love, you know, I I thought that we could kind of attack this in a different angle from a different vantage point, you know, go a little bit macro on this and this notion of spirituality and how it intersects with our lives and, and ultimately our careers. I mean, we're devoting a third of our life to our career. So like it would make sense that we would also sort of interject our spirituality or we should be perhaps into the work that we do. So I thought that might be an interesting take. And, uh, you know, for listeners and even for yourself, Rain, I'm sure it's all going to connect up as we get into uh, the conversation itself. So with that in mind, I do have this first segment lined up. And as my listeners know, it's called Coloring Wikipedia. What I do here is I read off a definition of what the guest does or a topic related to what the guest does. And of course, as I just mentioned, we're going to go with this term of spirituality. Okay, so I'm just going to read this off and I'll forewarn you, Rain. It is a bit wordy, very Wikipedia-esque. And uh, maybe after you could share your thoughts. Does that sound all right? That sounds good. Let's dive in. All right, here we go. So spirituality. The meaning of spirituality has developed and expanded over time, and various meanings can be found alongside each other. Traditionally, spirituality, referred to as a religious process of reformation which aims to recover the original shape of man, orientated at the image of God, as exemplified by the founders and sacred texts of the religions of the world. 
The term was used within early Christianity to refer to a life orientated toward the Holy Spirit and broadened during the late Middle Ages to include mental aspects of life. In modern times, the term both spread to to other religious traditions and broadened to refer to a wider range of experiences, including a range of esoteric and religious traditions. Modern usages tend to refer to a subjective experience of a sacred dimension and the deepest values and meanings by which people live, often in a context separate from organized religious institutions, and this may involve belief in a supernatural realm beyond the ordinary observable world, personal growth, a quest for an ultimate or sacred meaning, religious experience, or an encounter with one's own inner dimension. Whew, nearly got through it, stumbled through a bit, but uh, first, like, what do you think of that? Um, I think it's terrific. Actually, I was, I hadn't read that on Wikipedia before, and I'd been looking online for some different definitions of spirituality, but there's some things that you said there, especially in modern times about looking for the personal and sacred, separating the spiritual from the religious, having to do with kind of an experience is, uh, all dead on. I think that's a great, a great way of of, of defining it. I think it's a tricky word. You know, a lot of people, yeah. uh, struggle with the word spirituality because for so many, it has been, um, synonymous with religion and organized religion. Mm. So when they hear spirituality, they think church. And then for a lot of people, they hear spirituality and they think kind of really new age, airy-fairy, hippy-dippy, crystals, incense, chakras, a very vague kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, neither of those are what I'm talking about. But the, I would say the thing I quibble with is kind of like um, supernatural, not visible to the eye or something like that in the physical universe. And I think that uh, is very understandable because I think that there's a false dichotomy set up in spirituality. A lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm not spiritual. I believe in science. And this false dichotomy is set up between science, which is the observable, not really observable, you know, dark, dark energy is not observable. Uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's guessed at, you know, through physical experimentation. Uh, but you know, there's, it hasn't been quantified or, you know, photographed, but I think this is a false modern dichotomy that, uh, reality itself absolutely embraces science and the scientific method and the, yeah um, what's been compiled under science and also, uh, on a spiritual dimension at the same time, experience that way, love, wisdom, kindness, qualities that humans don't need to get by, but we Mm -hmm. often kind of live our lives experientially through those quote unquote spiritual aspects of being a human being. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And there's one thing that you said there too, that, that really resonated with me when, when I was going through your book, these preconceived notions of what it is, you know, these kind of loaded terms in a way, you know, like even, even this notion of like spirituality and politics kind of being connected up to the left and to the right, you know, and, Mm. and, and the associations with it there, or on the other side, other side of the spectrum, like, you know, that sort of hairy fairy sort of look in the spiritual side and meditation and all these different things. And, you know, like that struck me as I was reading the book and I think that was meaningful. And it was, I I recognize that for myself as being, you know, a bit of a roadblock as far as myself exploring it, you know, a little bit Mm -hmm. more. And I found that just, you know, really. So what specifically was a road roadblock for you to explore it? The fact that spirituality in terms of religion has been kind of politicized and, the church has become kind of weaponized on the political right or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, that when, when you stop to consider that you understand that that's what's happened. Right. And at least for me, I wouldn't go towards it necessarily. Like I was raised my, my, you know, Protestant household. My mother was, you know, quite religious and she still is. But the older I grew, I kind of felt myself distancing myself from religion in that sense, because like in my mind, it was, primarily, especially within North America, associated with a particular, I don't know, 
way of thought and life and living and some other values that are attached to that, you know, basically say with the, the conservative right, you know, and, mm-hmm. and for me, that's mm-hmm. not where I want to be. That's not where I want to be associated. But, you know, and consciously thinking about this, of course, I can, if I really wanted to, I could separate the two. But I think it's just been so pervasive within our society that it's just been that is what mm-hmm. religion now equals to a lot of people. And I got caught up in that as well. So I found myself kind of questioning that and all, I guess, all the static going on around me. And like, well, is that really the right assumptions I should be having right now? And maybe I should be reexamining these things. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at within your book is, you know, people should be doing this a little bit more. We should be examining things and questioning all of this around us and not necessarily maybe getting caught up in some of this other stuff. I don't know. Maybe if, if I'm on yeah, I think, not, you know, there's many theses of, that sounds like a dirty word, there's many theses of the book. <laughs> and first and foremost is we're not having enough spiritual conversations. Yeah. That's it. Just yeah. plain and simple. Yeah. Like, and why is that? Why can't yeah. we talk about life after death or the journey of the soul or the purpose of suffering or what consciousness is? Why can't we talk about what's sacred and holy in our lives? We have, as I say in the book, we have thrown out the spiritual baby with the religious bathwater. And there are so many conversations we could be having that would that would help us both personally and collectively, would help us on a mental health perspective, would help us find greater meaning and unity uh, as a society if we were having those conversations. That's exactly it. That's, that's exactly what I loved. And that's what got me thinking about this a little bit more, quite honestly. Again, I think you referred to this in the book as like kind of cutting through that static or recognizing the static around you to be able to kind of get to these issues and, and to have these conversations. And, you know, you know, for myself, like that was one of the things that did happen right after the book. I was able to have a conversation with my mom, who I'm very close with, but we really hadn't spoken about these issues of spirituality before. So that was really nice. Mm. And mm. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there really quickly. But there are a few things I do want to get into that you just spoke of, and I think I'm going to cover them with a few of the questions I have lined up for you. And so maybe we can meander into this other segment here, Rain. Right on. And this segment here is normally, you know, aimed to show that we all have our own sort of way of ending up where we are, professionally speaking, personally speaking. And oftentimes it's interesting. It's, it's never linear. There's always like left-hand turns, right-hand turns, uh, you name it. So I would like to go into your past a little bit. And again, within the context of all of this, your background and your upbringing was a little bit unique. You know, you speak about this in your book, you know, the Baha'i faith, you know, and and, uh, your parents exposing you to a lot, you know, growing up, you know, a lot of different ways of thought and so on and so forth. So maybe you could speak to that a little bit. And, And maybe as well, if you could find a way of weaving in how you sort of ended up or going down this path into the arts if there is a connection there or not. Well, I think there's a way to kind of talk about, to incorporate that question into some of the things that you said uh, earlier uh, about the arts, uh, I think is really important to note on my journey. So everyone knows, or lots of people know that I'm an actor. I do other arts as well. I, I write, I produce, and which is an art. and um, uh, I direct as well. Uh, I started as a theater artist and segued into uh, television and film acting. And uh, the curious thing is that in my background as a member of the Baha'i faith, and for those of you who don't know, I don't want to get into too much detail, but it you know it does behoove me to say that the Baha'is believe that there's only one God and that God educates humanity through sending down divine teachers every eon or two. And they all come from the same source. They all bring essentially the same core message, but a lot of differentiation depending on the time and the place and the people that they go to. But whether it's Jesus or the Buddha or Muhammad or Moses and Abraham or Lord Krishna and now Baha'is are followers of Baha'u'llah, who we believe is the most recent of these divine teachers. Baha'is incorporate the teachings and holiness and inspiration of all of these religious traditions, especially the teachings of their central prophet. So 
that's what being a Baha'i means. But I grew up Baha'i and I left it hardcore at age 20, like a lot of young people do. They, yeah. they leave their faith and uh, jettison it. And it's a story I've told a lot. I won't get into too many details, but as I, I left it to become an actor in New York City and to, to go to acting school at NYU and to train in the theater, I became kind of increasingly unhappy during mm-hmm. years when I should have been increasingly happy because I was yeah. working in my field. I yeah. was yeah. being an actor and getting jobs and I wasn't making any money, but I was, you know, getting some work and building a resume. And I, I was yeah. really excited to be working at all. I was this ungainly suburban kid from Seattle and I didn't know any professional artists. And here I was living in New York city, being a professional artist. And yet I was really miserable from what I know now to be a lot of mental health issues. And Mm. as I explored uh, spirituality in totality and read a lot of uh, holy books from the world's different faith traditions, I got reacquainted with the faith of my childhood, which I ultimately decided on a more conscientious and arrived level to come back Mm. to. There were a plethora of teachings from the Baha'i faith that had to do with the arts that I didn't know when I was a kid. And Mm. these have to do with the sanctity of the arts, um, the arts as worship. The son of the founder of the Baha'i faith said in a letter to an artist that I quote uh, sometimes, he says in this letter to an artist, I rejoice to hear that thou hast taken great pains with thine art, for in this bountiful and this wonderful new age, Art is the same as prayer. Mm. When you kneel in the temple, that is the same. Or when you, when the, excuse me, when the brush meets the paper, it, it is as twere you were kneeling in the temple. So this idea that put a paintbrush to paper and that's the same mm. as prayer, that you start typing sentences on a blank sheet of paper, that's the same as prayer. That you start to dance mm. on, an, in a, on an empty stage or you start to create a play or a film or a poem or whatever it is, a, a, a ceramics, it doesn't matter that there is, a, there is a, a sacred celebration in that. It's beautiful, yeah. Is a really, is a, it's a gorgeous teaching. And it is, it is. And, and it felt very uh, gratifying to me to kind of, here I am this, actor trying to do plays and do little films and trying to build a career and, you know, and actually there is a, a, a sacred prayerful com- devotional yeah. aspect yeah. to being an artist. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd imagine as well at that point, I think, you know, and in, in researching for this, you've already spoken to this already, but you know, going through some difficult times there and, and not exactly being fulfilled. I think you, you'd mentioned you had a great apartment, you had a, you were in a great relationship in that, yet still at night you're, you're finding yourself not being able to get to sleep, mm. you know, I mean, you're crying yourself to sleep at times, like it, it being that to that point. And even, you know, mm. as you progress further on to your career, into the office, three straight Emmy nominations and still something was missing. And I'd imagine it was around that point where this notion of spirituality started to, to re-enter your life, you know, after that mm. period of maybe rejecting it and trying to find your way on your own, that uh, it, it brought you back around. Is, is that kind of, is that, is that inaccurate? Yeah, you know, I quote in the book, the great Julia Cameron, who wrote that amazing book, The Artist's Way, that's a kind of mm. companion journal workbook for artists. And she said, I come to spirituality uh, out of necessity not out of virtue. Yeah. And I love that phrase because, and that's how it worked for me. Like I would love to mm-hmm. sit here, Chris, and say, oh, I'm really spiritually evolved and I'm really wise and I am I could be a guru and I could give you advice on how to live <laughs> a more meaningful, happy life. I can't do that. But yeah. I needed spiritual tools to get through. But my own yeah. mental health issues... Uh, addiction issues, even career issues, like you mentioned, like, and I've only started talking about this recently, like 
one of the most unhappy times in my life was when I was on the office and, yeah, and yeah. people are really astounded by that. But the, yeah. isn't that the human condition? Like it's people who win the lottery and then, yeah. and they're, and they're miserable. Well, that's exactly it. And, you know, and that's what struck me when I was trying to think of how we're going to go about this conversation. How am I going to put this together? And it was that. It was that. I mean, again, this notion of our careers, devoting a third of our life to it, and spirituality. I mean, oftentimes, like you just said, like people are at the pinnacle of success, and yet still something's missing. So like to me, and I think what you recognize in the book is that maybe the way that we're going about things isn't, you know, isn't the most fulfilling. It, we're not set up to succeed in a way, you know, spiritually, personally, you know, I think that the, it presents some challenges there. So, you know, this is the first sort of like interjection between spirituality and career. I thought that, uh, yeah, it was really interesting to explore. But I do have a few more questions that we're going to get into, and maybe we could shuffle into this other segment. If that's all I right. think let's so. do that. But I do think that maybe what you call this episode, because you, we've been struggling to define exactly what it should be. <laughs> maybe it's my life as a life as a quote. What do you, what do you call the parentheses? Uh, spiritual actor. Life as okay. a spiritual. Okay. All right. Well, that's a good one. Yeah. Maybe I should write yeah. that down. I think I, yeah. I think I did have here Rain Wilson, a spiritual soul. Plus actor, writer, and producer. That, that I, works yeah, too. That works yeah, too. That's kind of that's a fun thing. one too, right? But, but think, here's the important yeah. thing, and, and, I'm, uh, and I, I know you didn't mean it with, with that title that you gave it, but as I have progressed, just going back to that same topic, I realize that there's no difference. There's no difference between me being an actor and me being a spiritual person. And seeking yeah. a spiritual life. Yeah. So that's really important. That's a really important differentiation. That it's not like, oh, here I'm going to do my acting, and now yeah. I'm going to go do all my spiritual shit. It's like, yeah. No, when I'm acting, I'm spiritual. When I'm of yeah. service, I'm spiritual. When yeah. I'm meditating, I'm spiritual. When I'm communing with nature, I'm spiritual. When I'm writing a script, I'm spiritual. When I'm having an uplifting, elevated conversation with Christopher Schoenwald. Um, I'm spiritual. So, and yeah. I think it's important for people to hear that because we often think about spirituality as something you do in a yoga class or you do exactly. at church on Sunday or you do- Turn it on, turn it off. Yeah. And you go to the special place, your little prayer meditation bench or what have you, and then you go do your spiritual thing and then you yeah. live the rest of your life. But yeah. Abdul Baha, the son of the founder of the Baha'i faith says, strive therefore- day by day that your actions may be beautiful prayers. So your actions can be prayers in and of themselves. Yeah. Anyways, continue. Yeah. Okay. You had other questions. Sure, sure. Well, maybe I'll just get rid of that plus and I'll just change it to a hyphen. Okay, <laughs> done. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Solved. No, but that's exactly it. Like that is the, the, what you're speaking of right now is, is kind of the angle that I'm going at with this whole conversation here. And hopefully in the course of this, you know, as we get through it, it'll become clearer. But this next segment of Q&A Discovery, you kind of just continue this back and forth. And there's a few different, you know, ideas that come up time and time again through your book. And I thought, you know, it'd be fun to kind of go about some of these or introduce listeners to them in a playful manner, because we're going to be, you know, getting into some of these points later on. So I was thinking I could do it by way of, you know, some hashtags I could read off to you and you could give your thoughts on each of them. Does that sound all right? Okay, sure. All righty. So first one, hashtag purpose. What does that mean to you within the context of this conversation. That's a long conversation, dude. Are you sure you want to go there? I know. Well, let's try to like pare it down as much I, as we I can. I don't know how. I don't know how. So, okay. I can't really talk about purpose without talking about death. Okay. Because, in, and death is a topic we don't talk about in Western civilization. If, if we talk about death and we talk about it in the context that we are soul we are spiritual beings having a human experience that we are souls that we have souls that we are souls and that our souls continue the journey after our body has lived its 87 years um then that creates in us uh, a different sense of purpose than if there is no God, if there's no soul and we only have 87 years in these fleshy bodies and, and, and then our consciousness gets switched off like a light bulb. If you believe that, 
then it's just like live life to the fullest, have the maximum experience that gives you pleasure. Don't really worry about other people. Just give yourself maximum pleasure. Unless, uh, unless being concerned with other people does give you pleasure, just do that and maximize the life experience because it's all going to be over in a heartbeat. And if you believe that the soul is going to continue on uh, in some way, shape, or form, as every spiritual tradition does, then, then our purpose gets defined with being a spiritual being. And mm-hmm. that's, again, that could be a, we could just talk for two hours just on that alone. I, I won't I know, go there, I know. but then it has to do with developing our spiritual qualities. You know, it's our kindness, our humility, compassion, love, that because those qualities are what we are going to take with us when we go. So, and guess what? Plus, plus, it, uh, it also is really fun and enriches your life and gives you great pleasure and uh, well-being to be living in those divine qualities. So there's more to be said on that, but I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, no, I think like, like I said, we're going to be getting into it a little bit later, but I think just giving your listeners an overview, I know we could, like you said, have a podcast on that topic unto itself, but I think that kind of paints a nice picture. It kind of gives people a broad sort of perspective of what you're, where you're coming from on that. All right, I've got another one here for you. Compassion. I think this is another big one. We could go on for hours and hours, I'm sure, but. Um, I think is the most essential human quality. And when I say quality, science is both a, a library of data and it is also a methodology, right? Compassion could be the same thing. It is a quality that one can compile. You can become a more compassionate person. But compassion is a verb. You can show compassion and dig into compassion and, and focus in, hone in on compassion and do compassion in a verb way. And that is the highest expression of humanity. And it is the one that is most sorely lacking today. So whether it's a, a, an illegal immigrant at the border, whether it's a LGBTQ plus youth that's been ostracized uh, uh, by society, whether it's uh, a, a, a school bus driver trying to make bills, um, whether it's a Ukrainian in stuck in a war zone. We need to flex this muscle in our heart uh, to ever deepen uh, our compassion. And this will benefit us again individually. It'll also uh, benefit us on a societal level. Yeah. Yeah. All right. World pandemics. I write about this in Soul Boom, the fact that we are undergoing a great number of pandemics right now not just COVID, but, uh, you know, racism, sexism, materialism, climate change can be viewed as a pandemic of consumerism in a, in a sense is a pandemic, uh, where we commodify everything and the list goes on and on. Uh, and I believe that, you know, again, the, another thesis of the book is that there are spiritual solutions to these pandemics that we're not going to fix them merely with legislation and policy. Need something more. Most, most definitely. Well, I do have one more really quickly, one more hashtag here. And, and to be honest and to be fair, this is the only point of contention that I had with the book. And I'm Oh, please bring it on. I love it. Whether or not I bring it up or not, I don't know, but uh, you know, this whole thing is built on authenticity. So yeah, what the hell, here we go. So hashtag pandemic underscore buyer's remorse underscore premium Japanese soybeans. And I do have a quote here from you, Rain. Uh, They're currently sitting in my cupboard gathering dust and will probably never be eaten. I do want to remind you this program is produced out of Japan, based out of Japan, and the shade thrown at the Japanese soybean. I did feel it was a little bit much, but uh, please tell me they've been eaten. (laughs) No, sir, they haven't. I need to find them. And I wish I'd known that you were going to ask me because I could have brought them and showed them to you on camera. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, yeah, during the early days of the pandemic, there was a run on like toilet paper, but there was also a run yes. on like beans and pasta yes. and things that would yes. keep for a long yes. time. And 
I think my wife bought a bag of $20 Japanese soybeans. And I was, yes. I told her, I was like, just buy them, buy this. <laughs> buy them all. I know. I know. It was fun. So, yeah. Anyway, I, think I, I had to that. work in the Japanese connection here. You know, oh, good. I see how that, I see how that went. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I do have this other question here for you. Right? I am drinking and some I'll delicious. I think it's Taiwanese green tea. Oh, 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 I think you're redeemed. Oh, yeah. That is ocha. ocha. That is Japanese Ito-en. green tea. And that's authentic. That's that's no joke. We have that here. Yeah, yeah. My family um, it all the time. Here's a haiku. It says in the back, midnight basketball, the clang of a netless rim under crescent moon. <laughs> there you I love go. It. Redeemed. Redeemed. I love uh, Japanese green tea and uh, drink it every day. And it's supposed to be good for you yeah. too. How about that? Yeah, yeah. All right, nice. Well, again, yeah, redeemed. Very good, very good. All right. Well, again, I have this other question here. You know, off the top, I did introduce listeners to some of your projects in the past ones, you know, Soul Pancake, the book, you know, Two on Life's Big Questions, one of your New York Times bestsellers, the digital entertainment company that you founded, Soul Pancake, the podcast, Metaphysical Milkshake, and yeah, your newest book, Soul Boom, and even the series, Geography of Bliss. I mean, it's not hard to see. There is a connection here, you know, as far as, you know, something deeper, more profound that is pushing you or propelling you forward in a way. But outside of these observations, I'd be curious to know about, you know, how your own spirituality interjects itself within your life. You know, maybe it's like your approach to your craft, like acting or directing. You know, maybe it's your redefinition of success in in the course of doing these things. I'd love to hear your insights on that. Um, that's a great question. And it's a meat, I like it because it's a meat and potatoes question. You know, it's really like rubber, where the rubber hits the road. Like, yeah. again, if yeah. we want to, if we want to get away from spirituality as this kind of airy fairy, vague concept of feeling peace in your heart, and how does it actually make your life better? Yeah. I will say that morning meditation to me is like rebooting a computer. It's uh your computer's not working and it's clogged and it's stuck. And yeah. for, for some reason, uh, this just happened the other day when I was doing a podcast, it wouldn't get the, the, the microphone wouldn't sync yeah. up and I just rebooted the computer and then it did it. I don't know why, there you go, yeah. but that's why I think meditation is very important for me to kind of reboot the computer of my very anxious mind. Uh, the Buddhists call it the monkey mind. I also feel like prayer is an important part of my spiritual life as well. And that is communing with the universal cosmic divine energy that pulsates through every, every molecule in this universe and, and molecules and, 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 and the energy and reality of infinite other universes and to seek guidance. Uh, and I, I truly believe in the power of prayer and the the power to deeply surrender uh, and see where those winds take you. I liken it to kind mm. of like the winds that fill the sails of a sailboat. Um, yeah. That, you know, to get to a certain point in a sailboat, you've got to kind of tack one direction and tack the other. But the if you're in alignment with the wind, you know kind of when you're going in the yeah. right direction. So. My self-will, my willpower, my crazy mind, my anxiety, my ego might want me to think I'm going in the right direction here, but I can easily get off track. So there is a, uh, a surrender in prayer that I feel helps me go and move in the right direction. Mm. And also, you know, we talked about those spiritual virtues and if we're soul beings, if we're spiritual beings having a human experience, what does that mean? I, I, I sincerely believe that I am more kind and more thoughtful and more wise now than I was five years ago. So I'm kind of headed mm. in the right direction. I can still be yeah. a jerk. I can still be impatient, judgmental, have lots all. of character defects. Just ask my wife. But overall, I, I feel like I'm getting better. So I, I want to work on those qualities of the divine yeah. that I have in myself and that we all have in ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And it kind of leads into this next question that I have where, you know, you speak about this in the book and what you're just speaking of right there. I mean, this, this notion of how we as humans and society as a whole, it's 
our goals, our definition of success at times, it's, it's twisted, you know, and I think that's leading to some of these things like these world pandemics that we were just speaking of as well. You know, you, you note this rise of global youth despair, you know, people just aren't getting the same levels of fulfillment as maybe what they had in the past. And I think you draw on this metaphor, the game of life, where, you know, that that game, for those who don't know, I don't know anyone Mm. who wouldn't know at this point, but I mean, you you go to school, you get your degree, you get a high paying job, you find a partner, you have kids, uh, what else? You get the job, did I say that? And then it's basically accumulate, 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 and die, right? And that's, that's the game of life. Sure. But what we're finding along the way are, again, these world pandemics, we, you know, significant rise in suicides, mental health issues. Yeah. Like clearly these goals or these definitions of success that we have aren't cutting it. And in your book, you speak to a different ending of this game of life and you know, what could maybe add some meaning. And I think you were just getting at it right there, but maybe you could uh, speak to that point really quickly. Yeah, I think that it's interesting because the American, the quote unquote American dream and the kind of consumerist capitalist dream and the dream that's perpetrated in advertisements where, hey, buy this stuff and you'll be happier, accrue these things and you'll be more content, buy this fashionable item and your friends will like you more get this and you'll be sexier. And if you're sexier, you'll be happy. Like social scientists and positive psychologists have found that actually all of that uh, leads to great unhappiness. So the American dream in and of itself, which is like accruing things and having kind of financial independence and seeking to to gain more and more, we makes us less happy. Mm -hmm. So- this kind of dovetails into the television show, uh, Rain Wilson and the Geography of Bliss, which is out now on Peacock. But it's about finding what really brings us uh, joy, what really brings us well-being and contentment. I quote in the book this famous Grant study out of Harvard University, where it all boils down to ultimately connection. You know, we need to connect with one another. When we are living in uh, connection, in community, uh, when we have rich social bonds, that's when we find our greatest inner peace and and well-being. Mm-hmm. Now, do you mm-hmm. need to be a spiritual person to have connection and community? You don't, you know, absolutely not. But to me, there's some there's great, beautiful spiritual resonance in a community, and especially a community that has as its purpose and focus um, a greater good than it, than its own yeah. contentment. Um, so doing good for others, being of service to others, et cetera. Yeah, it was just really beautifully put, you know, within the book and, and just how you laid it out right there. And again, I think that's where we're missing the mark, right? Again, it's just it's this keyed, we're always keyed in on that American dream. You know, of, well, it, and it, just, it doesn't work. I mean, it, no, it just- and, and but, broken. But, but we're not having that conversation that uh, accruing things and seeking social capital through you know popularity and stuff and material gain, it actually makes us yeah. less happy. So yeah, but yet that drives the engine of commerce and yeah, uh, it sure does. And I find myself getting on that same treadmill. You know, I I talk about the next to the Japanese soybeans comment. I talk about how. Everyone a few years ago was talking about this instant pot and like this instant pot. Well, you can just put beans in it. And then in the morning it. it's yeah. chili, instant chili or casserole or, and it's so easy. And, and, yeah. and I was like, oh my God, I got to get one of these. And I yeah. felt like left out. If I didn't get one of these, there were articles yeah. on them everywhere. And I bought one and it's been sitting in my cupboard covered in dust ever there since. Cause I don't really need there it. Go. I could cook I beans know, in a I pot know. and I'm fine. I don't need an instant pot. I just need a regular pot. But fear of like missing out, um, feeling of being left behind, of being ostracized. Now, this isn't to say that people need to make a living and support their families. Certainly. And sometimes it takes multiple jobs. Rents are high. This is hard to do. And I don't mean any disrespect to anyone, you know, working super hard. But uh, just as we, as long as we understand that that um, is not what is going to give you 
true yeah. kind of joy and meaning. Yeah, exactly. Returning to the point you'd mentioned earlier, you know, having that wind in the sails of pushing you forward, you know, you having this ultimate goal of working on maybe the self and your connection with others and different things, mm. that being maybe the guiding force for you and all these other things along the way, maybe your career focusing on that and accomplishment within that. It's certainly not a bad thing, but we can't lose sight that that, you know, that should not be the main thing that's driving us forward necessarily. That shouldn't be, mm. you know, the, the, the basis of our goal attainment. So mm. yeah, I really like mm. that at that point. Um, I do have this other question here, and I think, you know, those who listen to the show and perhaps even within my own social circle would probably kill me if I didn't ask something about the office here. So I do have sure, one question. Please throw bring it on. And yeah, in, in, in the course of doing this, you know, um, certainly I wanted to be respectful of this, but also this has always sort of interested me as well. The fact that within most professions, you know, whatever you're doing, everyone wants to succeed. We're just speaking about this point. We want respect. I think it's, it's, it's who we are, right? As, as humans to a degree. And we're striving to, to, to get as high as we can within that line of work. But within acting, I find there's a sort of like asterisk on it in a way where like, if you achieve too much success, say with one character, that in a way could sort of hurt your career. You become defined by that. You know, I think of somebody like Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker, you know, like it's really hard to separate the two, you know? So it's like, as an actor, I'm assuming here, I'm not an actor, I'm not in that world at all, but you want extreme success, but mm, not that much. I just want it to be to this point. And with your character on the office, on the office, obviously you've reached this point of, I mentioned off the top, of pop culture icon status, you know, like that is deeply associated with, you know, you and, and, and that character. There's certainly a connection there. And what I find interesting is that a lot of actors might distance themselves from that. They might say like, well, I'm not talking about that. It's, I'm not even going to address that question. But what you do is you lean into it, you know, in researching for this talk, you've you know, you're often bringing up that character. You mention them in your, your social media feeds and whatnot. And I found that really interesting. And my theory on this, and hear me out, is that I think maybe, maybe there is a degree of spirituality connected into this. I mean, you understand maybe the value of that character, or what it gives to the world. Maybe it's happiness, joy, all these different things. And you also recognize in yourself that, yeah, this is part of me, but it's not, like, I'm not wholly defined by who this character is. And that allows you to kind of come to peace with it maybe some sometimes like entertaining questions like this i suppose or all the other billion questions you get asked mm. about that character i don't know am i onto anything with this or what would you say to that yeah no it's it's a very valuable uh conversation because this does happen to a certain measure of actors that you know jason alexander will always be known you know yeah. for seinfeld no matter yeah. what role he plays he could play a villain in this or he could play a a goofy professor right. in that or whatever. It's like, oh, it's the guy, guy from Seinfeld. And, and I feel that same way about Dwight. Dwight became a very iconic character. Um, and it's definitely something that I have to make peace with and about. And there's been a certain measure of struggle when, you know, I've literally said, oh, I would love to audition for that movie. And they're like, yeah. they don't even want you to audition because they're afraid that, you being so recognizable as Dwight will take the audience out of enjoying right. the film. Right, and right. so, you know, it's frustrating that, um, and there are certain actors that are really well known, you know, why is it that Tom Hanks, you know, for instance, and, and I granted we have very different careers. He's a giant, giant movie star that can open movies. But he's known as Forrest Gump, but yet audiences will return to see him in other characters. You know, he can play a enough, crusty yeah. arm, ar army sergeant or he can play a yeah. Mr. Rogers or whatever. And we will accept him in, in a number of roles, even though it's like, run, Forrest, run. And uh, so it's, it's, it's intangible, ineffable uh, kind of stereotyping that happens. But at the same time, like, I couldn't be more grateful. And I mean that with all of my heart, like Dwight the, and the office opened up so many doors for me. Um, I get to write this book and people care what's in it because yeah. I'm a, yeah. that kind of celebrity. Um, it's made me money. I, I know that I can always feed my family by, doing cameo videos or going to comic cons <laughs> and signing headshots right, or whatever. Right, right. 
I'm taken care of for the rest of my life. And as, as a, you know, I was a struggling actor for 15 years before I did the office. Yeah. Um, And I've gotten to play good dozen or two roles since the office ended that I'm thrilled to have done. I've really enjoyed independent films, you know, villains and dramas and dark characters and crazy characters. And, and some have been more successful than others. And some of those characters people have responded to and some they haven't, but that's what I've always wanted to do is to just, there's essentially what is life as a spiritual actor. Yeah. Be an actor is to transform. So mm-hmm. that's what actors ultimately, I believe, love. Like I'm this ungainly, weirdo, awkward guy from suburban Seattle. I'm kind of pudgy. My torso is far too long for my body. And, and here I get to find words on a page, read them convincingly in such a way that people yeah. believe that I'm a different than Rain Wilson. And then I get paid to do that. I get paid to transform into characters, to use language, to tell stories. I mean, I'm really hashtag blessed to to be a part of that. And there's something Mm -hmm. beautiful and miraculous in that transformation. And that's, and there again, going back to the divinity, I get to transform and create and tell stories and uplift and inspire and make people laugh. And all of that has a divine energy to it uh, and occasionally a paycheck. So win-win. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's kind of my point is like, I think maybe somebody who doesn't have that sort of like macro perspective or, or view on things and can kind of see what you were just explaining there or feel that necessarily, they get stuck on this notion of like, damn it, I'm just being like typecast again. And they just can't distance themselves. This casting director can't, you know, separate me from this person. But, you know, what you just explained there kind of speaks to this point where you are able to detach and kind of look at things from a different perspective and, and, and find purpose, find, you know, your, your, your feelings of fulfillment in all of that. And I think there was a, an interview that you gave recently when you're speaking with the book. It was on uh, CBC Q, hmm. I think was the, the program with Tom Power. And uh, I believe he was speaking about, you know, a difficult point in his life that he was trying to get through. And he was watching old reruns of The Office. And how that really helped him. And I think what you said to that, your retort was like, that is a bomb to my soul to hear such things. You know, it really, and, and you, you know, the authenticity of how you were communicating it, it was real, mm-hmm. you know, it was genuine. And how can it not be really, you know, like you've created this character, or you've been part of an experience to, to have this character deliver such happiness to the world. And uh, if you're able to see it from that perspective, it's gotta be freeing. It's gotta be freeing. So, yeah, well, I really like it's, that. um, and that aspect of playing Dwight is not something I foresaw at all, which was the laughter that the show brang and the, that the character brang. Is brang a word? Mm-hmm. Is brang? Well, it can right be. Sense? I mean, we can make it one. Had, had brought, used to bring, brought, brang? Had brought, yeah. Well, I, I'm sure the I'm going to go with brang. I'm going to fully commit. <laughs> that uh, right. is, um, is incredible bounty. You know, people talk about how healing the office was and how uplifting it was. And they were going through a hard time and it helped them through a depression and through COVID. And oh my God, I mean, I'm so fortunate to be a part of something where I got to play a cool character. I got to support my family and it really helped people's hearts. Win, win, win all around. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, I do have one last question here. It's this mm-hmm. last segment, a crystal ball segment. I know I've taken a bunch of your time, so I won't. Just, no, I'll, please. I'll cut to the chase My here. time is yours. Please. Well, thanks so much. Well, usually trends, predictions, so on and so forth, relating to the future. And almost always, I mean, especially in this day and age, this segment connects up to technology, you know, in particular AI and whatnot uh, as of late. But, you know, to some, I think tech has become this. God, in a way, has become its own religion in a sense. And a lot of people find it to be the answer to many societal, environmental, even economic ills that we're facing. But it might be obvious at this point, you know, I'm sure you you would beg to differ that technology is this false idol. And I'd love to hear from your perspective, like, what is it that tech is not offering? Like, what are we missing out by, you know, falsely attaching ourselves to it as our savior? Well, tech is allowing us to have this Zoom conversation uh, and have a scintillating, meaningful conversation that we get to share with other people. And 
They may like it, they may not, but that's pretty wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. We get to do it on our com- this computer that I'm doing it on. I can I can Google anything. I have all my photos stored on it. Um, I can write the great American novel on it. Uh, I can edit a movie on it. Um, there's, there's so much that I can do. That's that is miraculous. But I, I won't say for all of tech. But here's just an example of tech. Um, well, going back to the grant study and the idea of community and connection. Mm-hmm. So what tech gives us are you know Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and. These, I believe, create false communities. They feel like a community. You have quote unquote friends. You have hearts and likes mm-hmm. and thumbs up. And you are interacting with people and commenting on their photos. And we get a little dopamine hit. Uh, yeah. Just like when we get a pat on the back physically, we get a dopamine hit. We get a dopamine hit when mm-hmm. someone hits a thumbs up or a like or a star on our right. photo or our video. And but it's a fake community. It's not really connection. It's false connection. And Dr. Jonathan Haidt, um, H-A-I-D-T, has an incredible substack and he's coming out with two books on this issue that the mental health epidemic and social media and screens are intimately connected, but it it has a lot to do with with the sense that there is a fake and false community that has been created and that's uh, an illusion. It's it's tech seemingly filling a human need, but yeah. actually creating a deeper human need. Yeah, yeah. No, well said. I really like that. You know, I just had a, a guest on not too long ago. She's a, a UX researcher and, uh, you know, helping research products or services that are going to potentially come to market. And she's examining, you know, notions of, of you know, what companies want or what consumers want and how they can kind of mash it all up and put something into the market. And she raised this really interesting point about that process of, of gathering questions and asking questions and being curious. And there were notions of like empathy and compassion coming in, or at least should be coming in more, especially as we enter into this phase of like AI and the development of all that and what it represents, that if we don't have some of these things built into it, you know, we don't put the human element into it, we are creating these scenarios whereby, you know, more social platforms perhaps that are popping up or more services are popping up that are missing the mark here that, that aren't allowing us to, to connect with others on a, on a more meaningful level. And mm. uh, I thought that was mm. really insightful too. And it maybe kind of lightly sort of connects to what you were just speaking of there. But mm. Uh, mm. yeah, no, that's true. It's very, it's, it's very true. Yeah. Well, maybe this last question here and we can close it off with this one is, you know, why, in your opinion, Rain, why do we need spirituality and soul within our work? We need spirituality because it's reality. And if we are not um, including spirituality in our conversations, in our families, in our work, in our personal expression, in our day-to-day lives, then we're just taking a large chunk of what is reality and excluding it. it Spirituality is just as real as this iPhone right here. It's part of who we are as spiritual beings having a human experience. And so just as we benefit from not being in denial and taking in all of our reality, emotional, psychological, sociological, material, career paths that you're exploring, it's, it's part of what it means to be a human being. And we benefit from incorporating it into our lives. And the point I try and make in the, in the book is, again, it's, it's helpful for personal uh, transformation. And it's also, there are tools to be found in spiritual topics that can help in social transformation as well and making the world a better place which we all say we want to do, are we actually working toward that? Um, nice. There might be some spiritual tools that can help us to create community and to create greater compassion. She brought up the word compassion and even justice, which is at heart a spiritual virtue based in the golden rule. 
Well, it might be a nice point to, to draw this to a close, but I've got to say, Rain, I mean, I really enjoyed this conversation and you know, I hope it was good for you as well too. And I'm sure listeners are really, really going to enjoy it. So thanks so much. I loved it. Thank you so much for having me. It's fantastic. For those interested in learning more about Rain, his newest book, Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution, or Rain Wilson and the Geography of Bliss on the Peacock streaming service, you can do so via the links in the show notes. And I mean, hey, you can also follow him on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, I mean, he's an entertaining follow, as you can well imagine. And if you like today's show, please be sure to tell a friend and share. To show further support, you can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcast. Lastly, head on over to YouTube. I will have some video highlights from the conversation over there. You know, I'd really, really appreciate a like or subscribe. I mean, that channel is still fairly new. It needs a bit of love. Finally, don't forget to join us for the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. And until next time, stay curious about life and living. Thank you.